Welcome to their typical rainbow. I'm Paul. And I'm Grant. Uh, and this is another episode in the series Spectrum Analysis called The Upside of Autism. Uh, so I'm going to throw to Grant on this one because this was his idea. Uh, so this is, we're going to discuss a list of positive sides of autism according to a list we found that seems to have come from Asperger's Syndrome Awareness on Facebook. So they call it Autism the Positives. So the first positive they have listed is an attention to detail. Yes, which I I would say overall serves me fairly well in my job. It's not so great when I'm trying to organise things in my life, like the way I hang the washing has to be a certain way, or the way I sort out my CDs and DVDs, of which I have many. Uh, It's good, it means it's easy to find, but it's also a real hassle, because I remember... Uh, when I was in uni, I used to have one of those old-fashioned CD racks where you had they had like a little spring at the back of the the rack. So when you pushed into it, you had to kind of, it it kind of sprung back at you so you could grab the lip. Except I kept things in alphabetical order. So every time I bought a CD, I had to move each the whole CD set like down one slot so I could put in this new CD in alphabetical order. And um and it it would take me like. 30 minutes to just put in one CD. Eventually, I got to the habit of just waiting till I had a collection of about five or ten because I have a very large collection. And, um, and until I did it. And then finally, we moved into this house and we just had like open shelves. And I went, Thank God. So you have to take the one at the end of the shelf, shove the whole thing across, and then move it to the next one. So, yes, uh, attention to detail, plus and minus. Yeah, I'd say it's probably a plus and minus for me as well. I think um, it's quite good when I'm in uh, the moment and doing things. The only problem is that my life doesn't really let me just stay in the moment. Things happen. Mm. (laughs) Um, And I remember the first time I did National Novel Writing Month and I was kind of just in the zone, which is very good. You did not appreciate being in the zone that much. It's been that much time. Uh, basically just zoned out from what was going on around me and our life. Mm. Uh, so the attention can be good. The not keeping track of the rest of the world can be a problem. Mm. Um, and I know it can be a problem with kids with autism as well when um, sometimes they just get caught in focusing on one thing and a lot of time passes without them really realising that mm. they haven't done anything. <laughs> True. Uh, which I think has happened to Jake at school. But the kids both get very good marks at school, so maybe their attention to detail is a good thing when they are on the right track. And, it, you know, with as with a lot of personality traits, it depends on how you channel it, you know? Like, if you channel your, um, your attention to detail into something really positive, if you channel it into, yeah, your work, that's all well and good. But if it then leads to perfectionism, then it's not so great. So it really just depends on how you use your superpower more than anything else. It's, um, it's Brightburn, you know? Like, if Superman, Superman the same powers was evil, he still has the same powers. It's just about how you use it. Yes. Fair enough. Hmm. Any other thoughts on that one? No. What's the next one? Methodical approach. Analytical spotting patterns and repetition. Yeah, I'd say that that's helped in my in my work as a doctor, particularly being able to notice patterns and I guess as part of that, notice irregularities in patterns. So medicine in general is about pattern recognition. There is a lot... Of, most conditions will present in a very typical way. Um, I think a lot of people who are not in the medical profession, they kind of think, oh, no, but anything can present as anything. And you're like, well, yeah, but, like, that's maybe 1% of cases. And the rest of the 99%, you know, uh, lung cancer looks like lung cancer. Like, you know you know it when you see it. 
Um, so being able to spot the pattern and being able to have a structure, I guess that's the methodical, being able to have a structure to identify it uh, is incredibly useful, really. Mm. So I think that I can spot patterns in things, like sometimes human behavior, sometimes people's accounts. <laughs> but my problem is then actually communicating that to people, um, especially because I tend to have a better memory than those people around me. So sometimes they're just like, I don't think these things actually happen. I'm like, no, no, it is a pattern. <laughs> these things definitely happened. Or I try to explain um, funding models to people who just don't understand what the hell I'm talking about. Mm. Um, so I feel like maybe you get to just pull the I'm a doctor card and get people to listen to you without understanding. <laughs> and I kind of wish I had that card. So that when I see the, the patterns, I'm not like the person who's like, the house is on fire and no one believes me. <laughs> <laughs> the boy who cried wolf when the wolf was literally there, but no one else could see it. <laughs> <laughs> so the next one is deep focus, which I think I kind of talked about in attention to detail. Yeah, see, my deep focus is all misdirected. My deep focus is in TV. I, str- I struggle real bad with trying to deep focus on work. Like, I sometimes I get into a zone and sometimes I get to a point where I finish, but... Oh my god! It's just it. Most of the time, it's because uh, it's like get away. I'm watching something. <laughs> That's not particularly useful. It's fun for me, not really helpful for everyone else. I think I was saying earlier today that half the time when I say "How are you?", you don't even know I'm. <laughs> That's also because of noise cancelling headphones. Because I love silence, which may be partially re- related to autism. Oh, just a little bit. Just a little bit. My god, the first time I got noise cancelling headphones and put them on, it was like I was being showered by sunshine. It was beautiful and amazing, and I loved it. And I'd never known a world that silent, and it was so good. Yes, I remember that. I remember that moment very clearly. Uh, so the next one is novel approaches. So unique thought processes, innovative solutions. I feel like I keep talking about these early because I think that also relates to the seeing patterns that other people can't see and then not being able to convince them they're there. <laughs> but like in a way that serves parenthood as well because parenthood is a constant guessing game. You never mm. quite know what your child is saying because, you know, they're young and they don't know what they're thinking. They don't know what they're feeling. They don't have a name for it. Um, they don't know how to handle it. I mean, putting aside the autism part of it, but... They're kids, right? And so, as a parent, you need novel approaches. You need to be creative. I mean, you need to have a clear goal as well, which is probably where the methodicalness comes from. Methodicalness? That's not a word. Um, Anyway, so, the, uh, you know, being being able to be creative with your solutions and look at it differently, I think, is is really valuable. Like, um, when the kids were younger and you want them to walk to kindergarten, um, you, you introduce them to Pokemon Go, which... In a way, served you, but mostly was for them. Yes. Because, yeah, I wanted them to walk. And, yeah, like, Pokemon Go, you know, there was mainly Raditas and Zubats on the way to kindergarten, because it wasn't that far. Um, but th- it was novel enough for them, and they were excited by it. And they were excited about um, augmented reality. Not so excited about augmented reality anymore. I think we're all a bit sick of augmented reality. Just a little. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, these these sorts of things, I think what also, uh, I think what autism has also taught me is that y- you learn to accept other people's approaches to things, that it is okay that they do things differently as long as they get to the same end point. Um, at least that's, that's how I've kind of, admittedly, it's taken me to my 30s to get to that point. I mean, my, in my 20s, I was much more rigid and much more, no, this is my way. This is the only way that it can be done. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm learning to appreciate differences and that sometimes people just, 
you know, get, get to wherever they need to get to, whether it's getting to their own pleasure or helping someone else or achieving a goal, as long as they get there, it doesn't really matter how they get there, you know? As mm. long as they're safe and no one else is being harmed, then so be it, you know? Be as creative and be as interesting as you want. You want to spin around in a circle for ages because it just makes you feel happy? Go nuts. I, it does not bother me at all. As long as you're not standing next to a bed of nails, then it's all good, right? So, yeah, I reckon I reckon having that kind of creative problem-solving is, is a pretty good skill. Okay. The next one, observational skills. Listen, look, learn approach fact-finding. See, that would be all well and good if my memory weren't terrible. Because I do notice random stuff. I do I do enjoy a good little puzzle search and all those sorts of things. But, yeah, it would help, I, I, it would help me more if I could actually retain that information. Yes. So I'm like the version of you that does retain information. So, yeah. Yep. Well, we, you and I have always said we're two halves of the one person. So... Yeah. But I think, I think we're both good at fact-finding. Mm. Um... And yeah, I think we, we know a lot. Like, as you said, your stuff might be random trivia, so it might not be useful stuff. Mm. <laughs> I probably know a lot of random trivia as well. But all, I think, like, knowing things, and I think in this day and age, I think knowing stuff is good, and also being able to continue to learn into your later years mm. um, is a skill um, that I'm glad I have. Yeah, but you. But at the same time, you're not always uh, thinking. Going back to the whole, um, you know, fixated thing, you're not always the most observant person either. Sometimes you know you'll stack a, a plate of like uh, have a stack of like three dishes next to the bed and go downstairs to get another plate. Like that's not necessarily observant. Yes, but we're talking about fact finding now. Yeah. <laughs> I, there's the fact that I have three plates stacked up, <laughs> and I find that out when I bring my fourth plate up. <laughs> but no, I, I think. Like, um, yeah, recently there's been a few situations where I've just gone, yeah, it is a bit worrisome if you don't continue to learn facts after you finish school. Mm. Um, like I recently had a, um, older relative who asked if a high court decision could be appealed to like England. Mm. And I'm like, no. And it's been a long time since that's been possible. <laughs> but if you learn how the judicial system works when you're at high school and you never interact with it again, especially the high court, mm. at what stage does someone tell you that fact? That's right. So I think, yeah, it can be... And, like, we are, we recently had our Prime Minister claim there was no slavery in Australia because he wouldn't have been taught about the slavery in Australia. But he also shouldn't have made that comment either. If he didn't know, he didn't know. As opposed to claiming... Yeah, but sometimes you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. I, I always... I remember... Like, I probably wasn't taught there was slavery in Australia. I've learned a lot more about slavery in Australia in the last week since he made that statement where people who do know have said there was slavery in Australia. This is what we called it. We didn't call it slavery. Here's a map that England did of, like, showing places where there was slavery. But if it's not in your education and then you kind of just go into your own bubble, mm. like if it's not something you need to know for work, whether or not there was slavery in Australia or what the appeal process from the High Court of Australia is, then you might just not learn any like those things after. Yeah, so where they change, but no one tells you they change. 
I, I remember... Well, we under, our understanding, I guess, slavery didn't change. No. Our understanding changed. I remember um, Donald Rumsfeld had that famous quote about known knowns and known unknowns, and it sounded really garbled, but actually, as I've gotten older, I'm like, oh my god, he makes sense now. That whole mm. thing about known knowns and known unknowns actually is really logical, but he just said it in a way that sounded really dumb. Uh, See, I think coronavirus has been another one where... You've got frustrated at people for not understanding what we don't know. Mm. Like, people talk about consistency, and you're like, there can't be consistency because we didn't know. Yeah. We're acting on the information as we find it out. So that's why it seems inconsistent, but no one ever claimed we had all the information. Yeah, and, and one of the things that I, I, again, pretty sure is part of my autism is the the um, difficulty in understanding and empathising with other people. So in my 20s particularly, and even now I get it when I'm really, really mad, but in my 20s I was like, if I know this, why don't you know this? Like, it, this, this makes sense to me. Why does this not make sense to you? I still remember when you got really annoyed at me for not being able to pronounce French words. Oh yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, I, but I mis I mispronounced the E T in a name, not in a French game. Yeah, it was like a Japanese a, game. It was a Japanese game that was in English, but this character's name was spelt the French way mm. to spell the name. And I kept pronouncing it wrong and you got really annoyed at me for not knowing how to pronounce French words. Yep. Yep. And I, I again in my thirties I get now why that's insane. But um, but at that point, yeah, it's it's um it's really it's really tough when you when you are certain of something, when you think you're certain of something and you know, other people don't understand. It's it was um it was hard thing for me to reconcile and come to terms with, but as I've gotten older and I'm, and more appreciative of the differences in, in what we know and the fact that not knowing it doesn't mean that you heard it and ignored it, it means, yes, as you said, maybe you just never told. So I've become, you know, when I, I've learnt, I've trained myself into accepting my uncertainty, being able to say, I actually didn't know that. Okay, cool. Now I'm learning more, you know? Mm. Cool. The next one is creativity. Distinctive imagination, expression of ideas. It's also like I really associate with autism. No, in fact, one of the one of the diagnostic criteria is a lack of imaginative play, really. So that's fascinating. Hmm. I mean, I guess in a way, it's whether whether you call it creativity or whether you just simply call it um, different perspectives. You know, if you're and sort of an assistance on your way of doing things that might be different to others, that might be where it is. Whereas I don't know if creative problem solving is necessarily a feature of autism. Obviously, hey, look, if you if you have autism and you dispute this, let us know at the Atypical Rainbow on Facebook and Instagram, because... Uh, well, I'd say I'm very creative, but I wouldn't say that was an aspect of my autism. No, and I, I acknowledge that most of my creativity is basically bouncing off other people's creativity. So a lot of the things that I've written, like the book I've written and the TV scripts that I've written, are jump-offs from either things I've experienced in my personal life, or you know, a, a slight adaptation of something I've already seen on TV. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, like, I th- like, I'm not... I'm saying that it's not impossible for an autistic person to be a very creative person. No, that's... Yeah. But I wouldn't, I guess, as- like... Associate, associate is probably not the right word. But I, I wouldn't put it down to their autism as why they're creative. Hmm. Um, and especially my recent experiences trying to help Jake do creative writing as opposed to 
non-fiction writing mm. um, and how much you struggle with it. But, you know, to state the obvious for those who know autism, it is a spectrum, so... No, no, yeah, they, yeah but I can, like, I wouldn't put creativity, like, high creativity anywhere on the spectrum. Yeah. I just would say that the spectrum doesn't cancel it out. Yeah, fair. It doesn't make it impossible. Mm. Yeah. Um, the next one they have is absorb and retain facts. Excellent long-term memory. Yeah. Superior recall. That's me, but not you. Well, yes, except... Once again, it's a spectrum. <laughs> yes, it's a spectrum, but also, also, n- not diagnosing myself, because that would be irresponsible. Um, attention deficit disorder and autism are uh, common comorbidities. They're often one versus the other. Admittedly, it's also... ADD is both under and over-diagnosed, because part of the problem is that with autism, with your uh, hyper-intense focus, it looks like you're not paying attention, because when it doesn't interest you, you don't bother. So mm-hmm. it looks like ADD. Um, but then, yeah, I've had, I've had memory problems my entire life. I've been told quite frequently that I'm an old man, uh, cause I just, I, I might not remember what happened like 20 minutes ago and that's been since my teens. So I would say that that is probably not an autism thing and there's probably some ADD thrown in there. Again, not diagnosing myself cause that would be irresponsible. <laughs> okay. Um, the next one is tenacity and resilience, which I think is an interesting one cause I feel like that's not a autistic trait so much as something people with autism have to learn. But it depends on what you're resilient against, though, because part of autism is rigidity in thought, right? Or what the so the technical term is perseverance, which mm. is which is the fancy clinical term for stubbornness. So if you are of a fixed belief, if you believe something to be true, as with your autism, you're more likely to stick to it, whether it's to your detriment or whether or not you're right, you're going to stick to it. So again, depending on how you channel it, if you channel your perseverance into a cause that is uh, beneficial and agreed, universally agreed upon, then it can be a really good feature. But if you if you think that UFOs exist and you are persevering with that, then it's probably not so great. I guess, I guess it depends on if like how you feel about resilience with emotional regulation issues. Because we often talk about it in relation to emotional regulation. That's true. Yeah. Which is not the only meaning of resilience, I guess. Exactly. So if it's if it's resilience in the face of contrary information. So again, mm. if you have a if you have a fixed belief that is positive and true, and people are telling you you're wrong, but then mm. you have that kind of resilience to withstand that and go, no, I am certain of my opinion and the facts that are supporting it. Then it's good. It, that, that, yes. Yeah, yeah I, I definitely agree that that sort of resilience. So yeah, it, I guess it depends on what your definition of resilience is. Mm. Yeah, because if you're talking about resilience, as in, um, have you been able to emotionally regulate while things change unexpectedly? Yeah. Then that might not be a form of resilience that is common in autism, or if it is, it's a learned behavior to co- to I guess deal with your autism. Mm. Uh, so next one is visual skills, visual learning and recall, detail focused. So that's an interesting one because I think that I don't have like the photographic memory um, or anywhere near it, but I have, I'm very good at remembering things I hear. Mm. So when I used to do plays, um, there would sometimes be a point where I would memorize just by being in rehearsals entire scenes like everyone's lines entire scene um just because i heard it over and over again um and when i was studying i used to read things out to myself 
Um, and my like, I was very, I was one of the quickest people learning lines in most of the plays I did, uh, because I just read out my lines to myself and I remember them. And also remember a lot of things that people say to me, which does once again come to that. If people don't remember, they've said something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you remember is not actually useful information. Mm. Uh, so I wouldn't like, yeah, visual learning and recall. I'd say mine's not visual, but I can kind of see where they're coming from. Again, it depends on the person and which part of the spectrum you're on, because you might have different sensory strengths versus others, you know? Yeah. Um, so for me, I, I notice it that I'm a very visual person in the sense that when I need to navigate around somewhere, street names don't help me generally, but I remember landmarks, which, again, isn't exclusively an autism thing. Plenty of people navigate themselves by landmarks all the time, right? Mm -hmm. But for me, I always know, like, where a traffic light is or where a certain building is. And I don't even know what the building is necessarily, but I just can identify by shape and colour. And the reason why I wouldn't call that a photographic memory is because it doesn't apply to text, I'm terrible at memorising, like, I'm not a good rote learner when it comes to uh, books, which, you know, not very helpful in medicine, but, I, like, I, I often learnt better when I had a patient who I could ex- associate it with. So if I had a condition that I needed to remember, I can remember the face of a patient, and then I can go, oh, yeah, that patient had this thing, and then all the memories and all the knowledge that I have attached to it then come to me. So I'm much better at features, I guess, rather than... Um, literally remembering what I'm seeing, regardless of what it is. So I have a little bit of that. And we know that Jake has that as well. When he, when he first got tested, he was advised that he had a really good photo, like photographic memory. Like his visual processing skills were quite high. Mm. So, so I have high spatial skills. What does that mean? Like shapes and stuff. Mm. Um, like putting the, like seeing pictures of the shapes and knowing how to put them together. Mm. Um, like rotating in my mind. Hmm. I think I have. I remember that, that from my tests. <laughs> I had to do that for um for the UMAT, which I don't even. God, I'm so old. I don't know if they're doing that. But it's the entrance. Ex- it used to be the entrance exam for medical school. You mm-hmm. have to do this thing, and one of the exercises was a f- a orient finding a shape in a in amongst this mass of shapes, like a where's Wally of shapes. Um, but it's it sort of started at various gradients. So the first one was just pattern recognition. The second one was you had to identify the shape amongst the le- the rest of the shapes, and then by the third one, the shape could be in any orientation. Mm. So you had to be able to pick where it was within this mass of shapes. And I, I of course, struggled the further up I went along the chart. But I also did enough to get through, I guess. Yeah. We don't know what the pass mark was. That's true. That's true. Uh, the next one is accepting of difference. So I think this might be a more of a consequence of autism than an innate thing of autism. Absolutely. But, but I think it also applies to families of people with special or additional needs, whatever term you prefer. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. You all actually, even then though, in my work, I, I've experienced a number of people who are unwilling to accept it and dig their heels in further. Unfortunately, I had a, uh, a really sad case of a mum who's, who knew her child had um, additional needs, had autism, but when he hit puberty, he got, uh, his behaviors deteriorated significantly. Now he has intellectual disability, so I should clarify that. So she got him exorcised multiple times, actually. Exorcised. Exorcised. Yep. Priest and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that, yeah, some families don't take the differences very well. I, th- I think, but like, no, I'm not talking so much about people who are in denial about their own child, mm. but more of a different worldview that I've heard people talk about, like, with their, like, 
siblings of their special needs or additional needs kids who are adults being more open to general difference mm. rather than the specific difference in the family. So being um, more open to trans rights or gay rights or less racist or... Mm. Like, I have heard anecdotally people talk about the fact that, you know, if you grow up in a um, family with a disabled sibling, then you're not going to go out and judge other people based on their sexuality or their race or anything. Mm. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And again, I, I would say that from my own personal experience, I and maybe age, I have come to to be more understanding and accepting of people who are different to me and uh, that that spectrum of difference is exceptionally broad um whereas maybe when i was younger i was a lot less ex- not not less accepting but I, I i guess i didn't i struggled to process people who were different to me whether it's opinion or whatever you know um i still have trouble with certain things now but but I'm certainly a lot better than I was. And again, I don't think that's going to be a feature of autism. Like, as you're saying, a direct feature of autism. Mm. I think it's a consequence of being given the right values, being taught how to cope with yourself and understanding yourself and accepting yourself and as part of that, accepting other people. Yeah. I think um, a lot of the rainbow stuff is partially about the fact that if you are different, you're less judgmental of other people who are different because there's not a lot in common about the like, lived experience of a gay person and a trans person. Mm. And also, I think one one of the things that has come up multiple times is people get confused about why the gay community fights against Islamophobia. Because people are like, why would you, like, why would you do that? Like, there's no, like, what have you got in common with Muslims? Mm. But I think that when you're a persecuted minority, sometimes you're just happy to help any persecuted minority, mm. even if it doesn't make sense on paper to the majority. It's like, you know, you guys just have nothing in common other than the fact that we're oppressing both of you. Like, why are you <laughs> allying? Mm. But I think we do. Um, and it's kind of like that, I guess, stereotype of the left where they're like, just like fighting sexism, Islamophobia, racism, homophobia all at the same time. And it's like, this is just... Seems like a mess of things to be all fighting. But really, if you think about it another way, which is that you're fighting people being discriminated, discriminated against. against for being different, yeah. then it makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah, I get that. <laughs> yeah. So I think, yeah, I think people with um, additional needs or who've, who've grown up with a sibling or a child with additional needs are probably more understanding to the other minorities as well. Mm. Mm. Expertise, in-depth knowledge, high level of skills. A lot of these are very related, aren't they? Like some, this seems like a consequence of having a good memory and of. Um... Well, I guess yeah. Like it does say autism, the positives, but it is an Asperger's site, so it is probably being written from the point of view of high functioning autism. Yeah. Um, because high level of skills. Um, is unfortunately probably not true of all people on the spectrum. Mm. Um, because you have you have people who have autism and intellectual disabilities, and they are not, you know, from the start, they're not able to gain the same level of skills as you have. Um, and that's not their fault. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's probably a very Asperger's version. But um, 
as it's all been put together in one turn now. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, so it is kind of one part of the spectrum that that seems to be focused on. And it's not to say that it's untrue. It can be very true that when, when you have, uh, you know, a strong working memory, when you have a high focus, you can be expert in your field. Absolutely. Like, mm. that's... That, like, well, you can be expert in a field. Sometimes it's not a field that is a real field. <laughs> like, I remember I used to bowl with a guy who I believe had intellectual disability, and he could memorize any phone number at hearing it once. Mm. And that's an amazing skill. Yeah. Not a job. Yeah, it's not a marketable skill. Not a marketable skill, but it's still quite an impressive skill. Mm. He could do something that a lot of people couldn't do. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he was on the spectrum. Mm. Um, I wasn't there in a capacity that required me to know his diagnosis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I, I, there, there's always there's always rumours of various famous intellectuals being on the autism spectrum. I don't know how true it is. You know, there's these BuzzFeed quizzes and these random lists, so it's entirely possible it's false, but it wouldn't, also wouldn't surprise me, really. Because um, there is a certain amount of concentration and dedication that you need to really excel and to go beyond, you know? I think... That, that kind of singular focus for anyone. I mean, putting aside autism of any sort, um, having that kind of singular focus in achieving your goals is uh, can be really valuable for the world at large if it's directed in the right way. I mean, any number of genius TV shows will tell you that, you know? Uh, obviously, the TV show would also tell you that it's at the sacrifice of your personal life, amongst other things, but the, the, the hyper-focus and the hyper-vigilance that comes with autism can, again, be channeled in such a way that if it's channeled in just the right way, if you grow up in just the right community and just the right culture and have just the right opportunities, um, can, yeah, bring you uh, closer and closer to expertise. I mean, Temple Grandin, obviously, is a, is a really important a figurehead in veterinary science and animal care, and, um, and that's because she has the singular focus. Mm. Yes, and she actually has a diagnosis. Yes, yep. indeed. Unlike people who we just guess. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and the last one I think is interesting. So integrity, honesty, loyalty, commitment. Which I th- would say is true, mainly because I've, I've recently gone through my own personal experience about realising that lying makes me very uncomfortable. Uh, I'll do it if it kind of saves me conflict, but I won't like it and I'll often regret it for a long time afterwards. But there is something... I mean, you know, again, spectrum, blunt honesty and just calling someone fat, for example, while it may be true, isn't necessarily the nicest thing. But on if you look at it in a positive way, at least you know they'll never lie to you, that they'll tell you whatever it is, whatever the truth is, even if it hurts. And that can be... I mean, in this day and age, in this day and age of fake news, honesty is something that's really quite a rare commodity. Yes. I think it's interesting because... It has been. It's presented in our kids in different ways. Like Jake is super honest, and I always say about Jake that if he's happy, you know it, and if he's sad, you know it. Mm. There's up until I'd say at least up until recently, there's no hiding it. Um, and still, he'll he'll be very honest. Like we we're having a conversation the other day where I got a bit too enthused about trees. Um, and he informed me that it was boring, which is very honest <laughs> of him. <laughs> um, and the thing is, he he will be very honest, particularly with me. Whereas Matt, 
I've always had more trouble knowing if he's telling the truth, and he does lie to us about things. Like, generally, he probably sees them as white lies or avoiding... Conflict. Conflict, like you were saying. Mm. Um, And I probably also lied a lot to avoid conflict and to try to keep the peace as a middle child. Mm. (laughs) But I think lying comes more naturally to me and Matt than it comes to Jake. I obviously didn't know you at the same age, so I don't know. But also one of the things I think with the kids is that the world kind of stamps out the honesty. Mm. Like, this is probably the first year where Jake has gained the skills to pretend to be happy (laughs) Mm. and be less honest about when he's sad because I guess society and the world has taught him not to be honest about these things. Whereas that's something that kind of came naturally to Matt (laughs) Mm. and probably came naturally to me. So... I think that they're still probably very loyal, they have integrity, but just going through a day being honest about how they emotionally feel is kind of being stamped out of them by the world. Part of that also is that, you know, people with autism can have trouble understanding their emotions to to the degree, or both the cause of and the degree of how they're feeling. So it can be hard for them to really honestly express how they feel. So we may simply just be taking the examples he's able to give us and assume that that's normality or honesty when actually it's the only ones he can really, you know, verbalise to some degree. Yeah, but I, I think with the remote learning, there was a point where he was upset about something. So I got a situation where me and him would talk to his teacher through, not through Zoom, through Google Classroom, but basically through Zoom for anyone who doesn't know Google Classroom. So it was like face-to-face, but through the screen. And he wasn't honest with her about how he was feeling, like he had been with me. And then as soon as the call ended, he then got sad again because she still didn't understand how he felt because he didn't tell her. Mm. Um, And it was like an immediate thing after the call ended. So... It like yeah. So the the version of him that he had presented to her in the call was not the honest version of how he was going that day. Mm. But he had given me the honest version of that. So I guess on some degree, at least he has someone he can be completely honest with. Which I guess is part of the loyalty part as well, because loyalty kind of goes both ways. If you you know um, connect with someone who has autism at whatever age and you make them feel comfortable they will appreciate you for a number of reasons one being they like consistency uh, and the second being that because of the difficulties with uh, socializing and empathizing if you make your identity clear if you are a consistent person who consistently behaves in a certain way and offers certain things then they're more likely to come back to you because you're a known quantity so you get that kind of loyalty, which can, you know, is obviously, uh, can build, can be the foundations for a very strong relationship. Mm. Yeah, I remember um, when I was studying gifted education in my master's degree, one of the things lecturer said is that um, if you can get an engineer to marry you, they'll never divorce you. Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, once they're in, they're in. <laughs> uh, and on that note, uh, thank you for listening. 
I think that's that's us gone. That is the end list. of the list. Yep. Yep. Uh, thanks again to uh, Asperger's syndrome awareness for providing that list and as a, a jumping point, uh, off point for this conversation. If you have a different opinion, or if you have other benefits you think to having autism, or see it in your own kids with autism, please let us know. Find us at the Atypical Rainbow on Facebook and Instagram. So uh, we hope you've enjoyed this episode and that you seek us out again next time you need some entertainment. Thank you very much.